0: Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Hello, listeners. I am back this week with a new to most of you episode. However, it is not brand new. A few things have come up this week. Some unexpected obligations, including traveling out of town for a funeral. So, I am deviating from my planned release schedule. And what I'm bringing back today is actually only the third episode I ever released, which remains to this day one of my favorites. And I remember way back when I first had the idea for this podcast, I didn't tell a lot of people, but I did share it with a few people. And for those who I told, I got responses that fell very firmly into one of two camps. There were people who immediately got the idea and there were skeptics. And the skeptics kept asking me, do you really think that there are enough stories that people can share through food? And that response always, you know, had me a little nervous. And I remember getting off the phone after this interview with Daniela, where we traced the role of food through her life in the former Czechoslovakia, the rejection that she endured there, her choice to defect to Canada when she left behind half of her family she thought forever and rejoined another half of her family that she didn't know at all, and then the redemption that she experienced in her life through a dramatic conversion and finding new relationships, unlike those she had ever known before. And as we talked this all through, I remember getting off the phone and feeling like this podcast is going to work. There are a lot of powerful stories to tell here. And I also remember playing this exact episode in the car for my kids to hear and just feeling so lucky that I could get to know Daniela this way, that I had this venue of the podcast to get to know her, that my kids got to hear her story, to learn about her culture, to be enriched by her life and her perspective. And I still feel that way about the podcast. I feel so lucky to get to know people this way, to get to learn so much, and to get to connect with you listeners. So thank you so much for being here. And I am really thrilled to share this episode with Daniela with you today. So I want to welcome Daniela. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Thank you so much
1: for uh, choosing to work with my recipes and featuring my story. It is a real honor for me because you are so gifted. Um, (laughs)
0: Your coffee, you're very
1: kind every recipe you write about every picture just brings out emotion, not just the beauty mm-hmm. and so I thank you so much that I'm actually invited to be part of this
0: oh absolutely i i'm I'm very honored thank you for those words and I guess what I always want to do is just express what I feel definitely your story has very very much moved me as well as just working with the things you gave me the recipes um and heirlooms. It's a very mutual thing. And thank you very much. It means a lot. Oh, so. Well, you're welcome. And thank you. <laughs> okay, so your book begins with a conversation that you've had hundreds of times. You say it always starts as soon as people hear your accent. And I am determined not to start with that exact same conversation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. you name yourself as Daniela Husneek. Wilson. And I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about those three names and what they say about you and your heritage and your life so far.
1: Okay, so all three names. Well, let's see. So the first name Daniela is commonly used in my country, which I was born and raised in Czechoslovakia, what used to be Czechoslovakia. It is now Czech Republic. And I eventually... Once I actually left there, I learned that the name Daniela comes from, well, Daniel. I always knew that. (laughs) And the meaning is God is my judge, which I really love. Because even though I was born and raised as an atheist, I eventually, when I escaped, became a Christian. And so the meaning to my name was beautiful to me.
0: Mm. Husi
1: is my maiden name, actually. Well, in Europe, though, uh, we... Females, uh, you might have noticed that when you hear Eastern European names, especially Czech, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Czech um, and Russian and Ukrainian, and um, you will notice that there is an OVA at the end of names. I don't know what that Uh, is. So it's actually, I don't know if you ever heard of Martina Navratilova. Oh, yeah. Uh Right. So my true name was Daniela Husnikova. So it's Uh got OVA at the end, which automatically lets people know you're a female. So Uh Husnik is the male version. uh, And so that, but once I came to Canada, the OVA part really doesn't mean anything to people on this, in this part of the world. So, I had slight problems, like when I was applying for a visa and and uh, Canadian citizenship. I'm, I'm a Canadian. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, eventually once I relocated to the United States, again, it just simplifies it for okay. legal purposes to not be called Husnikova. Okay. I kept that name. Uh, in Europe, we don't have middle names. Mm. And when I married my husband... James Wilson, so that's where I find my third name. <laughs> yeah. I was offered the opportunity to keep my maiden name and turn it into middle name. Ah. And so um Daniela Husnik or Husnik Wilson.
0: Okay, well, I'm I'm so glad I didn't start with the same conversation <laughs> because That's right. Our, yeah, our listeners learned that you were raised in Czechoslovakia. Um, defected to Canada and now live in the U S which is critical information as we go through this interview. But I learned a ton about um, your name. And I I never knew that about the, especially the Martina Navratilova, the OVA is it feminizes a name. I had no idea. That's really interesting to me.
1: You know, picking a doctor in Czech Republic was much easier. Oh. If you wanted to pick a female, you would look in the phone book and you would find Dr you know, something, something this OVA at the end, you knew automatically it was a female. It took me a while here to address to Dr. Smith. I have no clue if that's a female. Oh. or. A female.
0: <laughs> yeah, you have to stalk them on, um, you know, their website yeah. or something to try to yeah. find a picture. And that's so interesting. That's so interesting. So um, I'd like to follow up a little bit about your your name, Daniela, and the meaning of the name. Yes. So you said Daniela, or it is the feminized version of Daniel, and that Daniel means God is my judge. And uh, I could think of a lot of words that people associate with God, um, love (laughs) being one of them, that I would take comfort in and that I would find beautiful. But to me, the word judge is scary, and it's uncomfortable. And I'm Really curious how you find beauty in in that name, um, in being judged by God.
1: So as I said, I was born in a com- it was a communist country. We were under the rule of communism and under Russia, and it was illegal to believe in God. So mm-hmm. I did not know anything else except uh, being an atheist. I yet. Mm-hmm. There was lots of um, pain and suffering in my life, and some was caused from dysfunctional family, but uh, also lots of suffering just came from being told there's no purpose for your life, Uh, you're an accident, and uh, there's nothing after death, and, and... Actually, to me, my experience was was even more painful because it was for nothing. And I ended up very uh, suicidal and self mutilating, er, early age, and alcoholic. And I I did because I felt what's the purpose of living if you're always in pain. And uh, but when I arrived in Canada, I the first. Christian I met was my stepmom. And I believed she was crazy because we were taught <laughs> that in the western part of the world there are Christians and they're uh, not really sane. And I believe that. And I mm. thought, you know, wow. Oh, my goodness. Here's one of the cuckoos. <laughs> <laughs> but Once I became a Christian and ever since then, I do not understand sufferings. Mm. I see The purpose in it. And I see often, I mean, the beautiful things that God brings out out of my suffering. And Mm -hmm. so when I learned that my name means God is my judge, it completed my journey of wondering what is my life about? What is the purpose of my life? Mm -hmm. He's my judge because he created me and he created me and he loves me. So, to me, it's beautiful.
0: Wow. That is really powerful. And I do appreciate you sharing that. So, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Your book does mention food quite a bit for <laughs> a book that's not about food, <laughs> um, especially in the first section, which is about your earliest memories. So, yeah why do you think that is? Do you think any book of early childhood memories would mention food this much, or do you think that you were especially tuned into food and um
1: <laughs> yes my my family upbringing is definitely in tune with food. My mother <laughs> uh, it's you, the way she loves is through food mm. and sometimes that actually even. Could be negative because for her feeding you can become almost controlling sometimes. But mm, yeah, nevertheless, mm-hmm. uh, I love the foods my my mom's cooking, my grandma's cooking. It definitely brings emotions. I you know I think of my grandma and I a smell comes into my brain um, mm. of certain foods she cooked.
0: A very defining event happened to you. Individually and nationally uh, in 1968.
1: Russians did occupy our country in 1968 officially. Uh, That's when they entered uh, with the tanks and uh, pretty well. So I was five years old then. um, And Mm -hmm. so I didn't know any other way, um, in fact. Mm -hmm. And I do remember... That that was a very difficult year in many ways. Uh, my early memory from that year is well when the Russians did enter, and um, I watched the tanks uh, with my brother and our friend, and the streets were rumbling. And you know, mm-hmm. we didn't understand it as children. And was it uh, scary the- as a child? Oh, very- very scary. And one of the tanks pointed their barrel at us and we all went and hid under the bed. And uh, that's about all I remember is as far as the terror from that day. Um, Then through the rest of the years, I have developed um, certain Uh, fears that I didn't realize until I actually left the country so even today I can struggle a little bit with this but not as severely as I did in the beginning years after I escaped for example um, jets flying over my head uh, you know and living in the area where we live sometimes that happens right you see and I I can I can handle it now, maybe the first once or twice, but if they keep flying over and over, I start having, I guess, like some kind of a PTSD. Yeah. Because we lived in the country where we were always preparing for war, and in our schools, you know, we had gas masks and we were doing survival uh, skills. We had. We didn't have fire drills. We had war drills and the sound of the air sirens and the jets. So I ended up having these subconscious, like, real fears of these things that Mm. realized once I left the country that how much they were impacting me, even in part of the world. But the other really traumatic event in 1968 was that um, my father and my mom who already had apparently dysfunctional marriage, uh, he decided to escape because Mm -hmm. in 1968, as you may know, many people escaped before the borders were totally shut down. And my father was one of them, and he took my older brother, my best friend, with him, and he left me and my mom behind. I didn't understand it. As I said, I was only five years old, but I do remember finding my mom... Down on the floor crying, probably the kind of cry that you only hear when a mother loses her child. And uh, I remember trying to comfort her by giving her my little rubber horsey, and of course that wasn't gonna comfort her. And and I lost my brother and my father, and I was left behind. Which at that time, I mean, I. Couldn't process it as a five-year-old. But as my life went on, even though my mom remarried and I was raised with my stepdad who loved me, but it left me always feeling rejected. And the older I grew, the more rejection I felt by my father. And um, it led also to feeling rejection by my mother because I was a reminder of, you know, the painful... Event in her life because I
0: mm.
1: look like my father, I okay. represent him in many ways. So it was a very painful event. But yeah. again, as you will read in my book, I can look back now and see how God used even that painful moment. Even though I was totally estranged from my father, uh, him and my brother sent an invitation. 14 years later for me to come and I took it and I knew I was never going to come back.
0: And wow, I can't imagine um, the courage that it took to do that. But in some ways, it sounds like um, the repression that you were under um, personally and as a country um, really bred that courage. You kind of had a choice to despair or to um, yeah. act in courage. I
1: think it was, uh, I mean, I can see now that God was in it, but I didn't know that then. And so from my uh, my own life, it was a desperation, a last call to either live or die. And I just, yeah. before that was released from a mental hospital after attempting to take my life and I hurt myself really badly and I was going to. Uh, do it again once they released me but here was this invitation and so for me it was a desperation call to either find life or die Mm -hmm. somewhere else it didn't matter to me where I was gonna die but if I felt that if I can't find life there then I will find no life anywhere and uh, it was scary I guess there was some courage drawn out of the desperation because I didn't speak one word in English. I loved my brother. I missed my brother and God used that to get me out of there. I'm not sure I would if my brother wasn't here.
0: Mm. So it's hard for me as an American and probably for most of the listeners to understand the type of repression that, um, you lived under um, in a communist country. In fact, I was <laughs> struck very early in the conversation. You said the words, it was illegal to believe in God. And I honestly, as an American, I cannot fathom it being illegal to believe something. I just. I I really can't even understand what that would feel like. So my question to, you know, relate this and bring it back to food a little bit is as um, as your culture was kind of uh, brought into conformity with the culture that was the vision of the Communist Party, How did that affect your um, heritage? How did that affect the things that you were allowed to hold on to as a people group, specifically your food? I don't think that has
1: changed much. If anything, I think the food is changing more now than ever because it is open now. uh, Mm -hmm. And lots of the Western uh, ways have come in. I remember when I first went back after 25 years, I was in such a shock because there were McDonald's and Kentucky fried chicken and all kinds of Western type of restaurants and places. So now I see it, even like my friends who live there, they're definitely starting to get away from more of the really traditional Mm -hmm. Czech cooking. They're starting to eat more of foods that are being introduced through other Mm -hmm. cultures. But then
0: I think it was impacted
1: by the communist regime.
0: That's good. So you think the um, the recipes are largely unaffected and um, are very authentic?
1: Yes, yes. Well, one way maybe they might be. Uh, affected. So for example, uh, some, some things we would cook or bake totally from scratch. Now we're able yep. to buy like pre-made doughs. Or
0: yes. Yeah. So I, I actually wanted to talk to you a, a little bit about that. So your mom, as you've explained, was a single mom, um, a grieving single mom for at least a portion of your childhood. Mm-hmm. And, um, some of these recipes, certainly one of the ones you gave me was the apple strudel recipe um, is fairly time consuming. Like if you make that from scratch. So you've talked about your mom cooking as a way of love. um, But I also just imagine her daily life. And I'm wondering, do you think that affected her cooking on a practical level? Was it, you know, simple? Um, Did she have to take shortcuts um, just for practical reasons?
1: No, no. Mm. My mother never took shortcuts. My mother, (laughs) till this day, hardly takes shortcuts. And we eat slightly differently uh, in Europe. So breakfast is very light. Usually you would have hot chocolate, coffee, and maybe a piece of bread or something. Like breakfast is not a big thing. The noon meal between noon and one is the main meal of the day. And so what people here are used to eating for supper, like the big meal, that's actually at noon. And the whole country functions like that, meaning kids that go to school, they get their big meal at school, people on the jobs, cafeterias, restaurants. So the big main meal, the full course meal is during the day. Then supper is maybe a sandwich or maybe bowl of soup, like something really light again. So lots of the cooking, which is really, uh, I always say when I cook Czech, man, it takes a few hours and lots of mess to clean up after. It, <laughs> it's no easy shortcut in Czech cooking, but it's always done early in the day because you have to serve it at noon. So, Interesting.
0: So did your mom, um, I mean, you were at school during the day. So was your mom kind of relieved of the responsibility of making this big meal for you because um, no. you would have it at school?
1: No. Well, dur- during those, uh, yeah, during the school days, yes. She, but once she got married, then, well, my dad had it at work and so did she. But uh, on the weekends, uh Summer times. My mom ended up having the kind of jobs that would either be like in the evening or on the weekends, you know, so she could still (laughs) always Mm -hmm. keep on cooking. And till this day, I mean, my parents, the way I was raised, I don't think I ever ate in a restaurant my whole childhood. And there's, they were still, till this day, she's very anti restaurant because Mm their thinking always is we can cook it better and cheaper. Mm -hmm. Go, my, my parents both were very frugal, very good with the money. Mm-hmm. And going to a restaurant was waste of money. Plus, it never tasted as good, apparently. so <laughs> yeah,
0: Apparently. <laughs> it sounds like you questioned that conclusion. <laughs> well, because we couldn't
1: even, once I left, and even as an adult, and they would come here to, you know, be with us for a few months and trying to take them to a restaurant... Mm Was not always the most pleasant thing because, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah, all you want is for them them. to say
0: thank you. Sorry,
1: yeah, yes, yeah, that's right, just say thank you, don't complain about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh. So do you carry any um, guilt with you? So for instance, with the apple strudel, you really urged me to use the store bought puff pastry. And I have to tell you, I really, man, I really wanted to give it a shot Uh with the homemade and I still think I'm going to do it someday. But in the end, it was a week, and I said, "You know what? I'm if it's good enough for Daniela, it's good enough for me. I'll use the store belt puff pastry." So, do you sometimes feel any guilt over that? Like, nope,
1: no guilt here <laughs> at all. No, I can say I have been Americanized, Canadianized enough to say. If I can find an easier way to make this and still get that great taste, I will take that shortcut.
0: <laughs> mm, 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 mm. Well, that's good. I'm happy to hear that. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of things to do in life, and I think it is a balance, um, especially for those of us, um, it sounds like we're really similar in this, that we both love cooking and we do both speak love through our cooking. Um And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And we honor those people that came before us and showed us love in that way. But as you said, and it can be a way of controlling or even making ourselves martyrs. I absolutely agree. And I love my mother
1: and I love uh, her cooking And I appreciate it whenever, I mean, that's the first thing when I go visit. What do you want me to cook for you? And she will cook my favorites. And, you know, and I do the same for my children. Uh But my mother can also be very controlling uh, to a point that I'm almost like, huh? To a point, let's say, so I know she says, okay, lunch will be at noon. And we went out somewhere, you know, touring and we arrive 15 minutes late and it will be put away and there will be like i said noon i spent the whole morning cooking and it's like but we're only 15 minutes late (sighs) so there is like this if i'm gonna cook you better be like waiting Mm -hmm. and you know so i've learned to not do that myself and,
0: yeah. Yeah. We have to kind of check ourselves and say, okay, are yeah. we, if, if we're doing this as an act of service and an act of love, yeah. then what's really the loving way to present it? I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and I understand it from my mom's point of view, you know, you spend your whole life loving your family through food and they love you back because it tastes so good. There is no cooking like your mom cooking because I have really learned a lot through other friends who have amazing heart of hospitality. I've experienced so much love in the totally simple way
0: of somebody inviting me over for a meal and right. So now you mentioned that the Czech people share with Americans a tradition of creating and eating Easter eggs. Yes. But it's a little different. And yes. (laughs) Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so there's high, high superstition. So the eggs represent the superstition of being fertile. Uh, on Easter Sunday, the children, which only the only the boys are supposed to go out on Easter Sunday. That's how it used to be. The boys would go out. And so um they would have this whip braided whip out oh, of my word. Uh, yes out of willow branches and so they would come as these braided whips with pretty ribbons on it and then they would come to the doors and uh, they are supposed to sing like uh, some kind of a song sort of like I guess kids do on Halloween you know trick-or-treat yeah, or something. say something but and the point was, is that the girls, the females in the house have to give you an egg. Otherwise you get whipped and you get whipped until you give them an egg. And different regions in the country, a uh, lots of the like more countryside ones, the fathers would come with the boys and they wouldn't want just an egg. So the boys would want the egg and you had to give a shot of alcohol. like vodka or rum or whiskey or something to the death, and so the girls are getting whipped like crazy the fathers are getting a little tipsy and drunk so I remember you know and for me it was like eventually I have to go to sleep with some eggs under my pillow because the first person that would whip me first thing in the morning would be my father so my stepdad and so you're ready with those eggs and then my mom and everybody they would just think it's funny to kick you out in the streets with you know your basket of eggs but then you get hit by all these boys and and then you run out of eggs and then you're in trouble
0: <laughs> it was the boys could just beat up on the girls
1: yep yep The whole, like, thinking behind it, I guess, when it's, like, comes from this pagan thing that the eggs are the fertility and somehow whipping you makes you more fertile. I really, you know, I didn't look into the history of it then. All I knew is, like, one of these days I'm going to get the whip and beat you back. And I got (laughs) older enough. I did. I was like, no way. You guys going to get it.
0: Well, I love it. I love that I can laugh freely now because you kind of laughed and chuckled as you told the story. And I just, I couldn't find much to laugh about. So that they because it is a little warped when you think about it's it. It's very, very warped. warped. It's very warped, especially, honestly, if you add in the idea of giving your fertility to a man as he essentially abuses you. I mean, that's yes. pretty. And I, it's dangerous would, because oh, I, you
1: end up having a bunch of drunk men uh, with whips and children on the streets. And yeah, it's not the safest. It's, I oh. think, dying down quite
0: a bit now. So did you dread the holiday or did you, I, it wasn't normal to you or was it? I think I dreaded more, as you
1: read, about our St. Nicholas Day, uh, which is before Christmas, where mm. the dressed up devil comes um mm. uh, that, that one was scary when I was young. So, mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, both of them, to be honest with you, sound, uh, honestly, I don't think it's a stretch to use the word sadistic. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, so on a slightly more cheerful note, um, but maybe only slightly, tell me about your Christmas dinners.
1: Oh, I loved Christmas But I think it's because it involved the whole feeling, the whole emotion that's related to Christmas. But yes, our Christmas dinners were lots of um, (laughs) interesting things. So yes, in the morning, just have like your light um, breakfast and it's this special special sweet bread that is made. And then your... um, kind of kicked outside as a child because the parents have to prepare and in Czech Republic we don't dress the tree way before it actually arrives that evening in what we are told and it's mm-hmm. brought in Which this is the interesting part because who brings gifts on Christmas Day is Baby Jesus not Santa Claus and mm. Baby Jesus also brings the tree with all the lights so <laughs> I know. It's a strong
0: baby. <laughs> yes, yes,
1: and so there has the parents have to do lots of preparation behind the children's back. But the Christmas dinner is that kind of starts like maybe a week before when you go to the market, and mm-hmm. everywhere are these big huge barrels full of live carps. And because the traditional
0: Christmas dinner is and a are, carp is a fit, a carp is a fish. So, yes,
1: a carp is a fish. And the traditional dinner is a breaded carp and pork chops and potato salad. And uh, so you would go pick this carp like a week before live one because mm. you need to cook it fresh. And <clears throat> so it would live in our bathtub
0: <laughs> for a week. Oh. So would you go a week without bathing?
1: No, you would take him out, put him in a pail of water. <laughs>
0: And you I, had to lift out this fish flopping. How big is a carp?
1: Oh, they can be really big. So you would buy them based on your size of the family. They can be a couple feet long. Oh, my words. Wide. They,
0: they're pretty big. How and, wide? Say that again.
1: Uh, Like tall, they would be maybe, maybe mm, three quarter of a foot foot or something like that. They can be really big. Children, we would be down on our knees by the basket, <laughs> playing with it. And, you know, it has this big, they kind of remind you, they're sort of like goldfish. That oh. mouth that opens, no teeth. And, you know, we would oh. put our fingers and play with it and name it. And then Christmas morning, it would be on the butcher block and oh. being killed. And then it would be on
0: our plate. <laughs> oh, my word. You know, to me, this sounds so horrible, but I have to remember if I eat meat and fish, right? I mean, this is what happens, right? Yes. I just kind of insulate myself from the reality of it. So yes. it's not horrible. It's actually a more honest and truthful way to understand our food. It still sounds horrible, but you didn't experience yeah, I it that way. <laughs> it-
1: and, yeah, it's like again, that's what you grow up with. I mean, mm-hmm. it just it doesn't end up being strange until when you become an adult and you look back at some things that we do in life, and you wonder, why do we do that? What yeah. is that really all about? How do I really feel about it? But, you know, I think it's same for here. Uh, I remember when I came here, I mean, Halloween was always to me like the strangest more more uh demonic thing i have ever (laughs) but yeah so i but i think it's just when you're raised with it experience actually when once i was in canada it really really was hard for me i was a single mom for many Mm -hmm. years with my children and christmas was always very very difficult for me and i think it's because as an adult Suddenly, I was responsible for all these things, and I wanted to make sure my children had those magical (laughs) memories—magical
0: memories of playing with a carp in the bathtub. (laughs) Yeah, well, I did. I did not
1: carry that one on (laughs) trust. Like, yeah, but I was just like, how can I create something just as surprising for my children? And I ended up creating our own tradition, sort of combination between the Czech. Canadian and American and whatever. And so they mm. ended they up having special memories, but does not involve killing any animals yeah. myself.
0: <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about the specific recipes that you gave me. Um, so you gave me three recipes. Well, let's name them. You said that you would actually love to have me photograph um, a charcuterie board, which I I guess we could get into the definition of a recipe, if that counts as a recipe or not. Right. But then you gave me two other recipes, which are um, kleba. Is that how I say it? Kleba?
1: Actually, it's uh, so ch. app uh-huh. is a one letter in Czech language. Oh. And it's pronounced h", like it's hard in your throat. So yep.
0: it's kleba. Kleba. That's right. Okay. So... Charcuterie board, kleba, yeah. <laughs> and um, an apple yeah. strudel. So, and I'm coming at these recipes with some assumptions, and I'd like you to um, talk to me about my assumptions and where I'm wrong, and help me to understand um, the choices you made. So, in my mind, I'm kind of setting um, two groups. You have the charcuterie board on one side, which it seems to me to be, you know, like a luxurious, um, cosmopolitan, um, expensive item. And it seems also, I guess, um, vague, like it not very distinctly check. And there's a lot of ways you could go about creating one. And then on the other side, I feel like there's the kleba and the strudel, which are homey, they're earthy, they're made from, um, I guess, cheap and inexpensive and readily available ingredients. So let's start with the charcuterie board, which was your first request. And tell me, so is, is that a distinctly checked thing? And how does it relate to you and your life and Uh, The people in your life?
1: It is kind of combination, I guess, of um, the Czech and European. So my stepmom, she's from Holland, and she was married to my father. Of course, my father has passed away now, but she carried on lots of the Czech recipes. She learned how to make them for my father and everything. Mm -hmm. And so... Bread and some of the meats is like really big back home. Mm -hmm. So when we gather together, that's how we gather just Mm. bread and cheeses and meats, different meats. And that's it's such a sweet memory for me Mm. because we just sit and eat. Mm the food because the breads are so good and the meats (laughs) and we just enjoy the fellowship and we can sit like that for hours Mm. and so the board might be known also in other parts of other countries but I think the reason I picked that is because it has like bits and pieces of my life back home and also here
0: Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. So when I say it's not really a distinctly Czech thing, well, right. it's true, but neither is your life distinctly check, right? I mean, right. that kind Correct. of that Correct. ended when you were 14,
1: 19, I was 19 when I left
0: 19. Okay. Yeah. So that does explain a lot. And I also start to see now that you kind of, um, you group the kleba and the charcuterie board together it's almost like the charcuterie board is incomplete without one of your traditional breads and that's that's your favorite i guess of the traditional breads right right i see i see you said earlier that the oppression of the communist party did not extend into food options that um the czech people were able to maintain their heritage those authentic dishes and everything Mm -hmm. Were there economic changes that changed the diet of the people um, under the communist rule?
1: So I believe so. There might have been, um, but I don't think I've really experienced that whole lot. Uh, But there were times where foods were like rationed. You could only buy Uh, so much bread or whatever. And that's when people ended up making their own a lot because it was cheaper to Mm -hmm. make your own bread than the store-bought one. Uh, In my experience, in my home life, I never lacked anything. Mm. We always had meat. I was raised with which this is actually thinking that I'm still trying to change in my own lifestyle today the most important part on your plate was meat. Mm. So we all, and then you had we, Czech Republic and Czech cuisine is huge on dumplings. We have so many variety of dumplings.
0: I, I'd love to talk about that for a minute. So m- meat and flour were basically the key components of every meal there, which I would say are probably the two things most um most associated with unhealthy eating in the u s, do you think they're unhealthy choices? Interestingly, mm-hmm. uh, when I left
1: I, I've never really known any uh, I don't know how this is all going to come out, but <laughs> this <laughs> is what my experience and my observation. Mm-hmm. I left Czechoslovakia and one of my f- first culture shocks, I had lots of culture shocks when when I arrived in Canada. And one was related to foods. I remember taking pictures. I've never seen so many food choices in the stores, wrapped mm-hmm. meats and beautiful little plastic. Everything, everything was so appealing to the eye. Boxed cereals with color, like it was so overwhelming. So I was mm-hmm. more used to you go just to the markets. You, you're not, you're not being kind of like um, captured by all this advertisement of color and beauty of the food. You just went to buy what you needed. But uh, one of the was, I've never seen so many overweight, obese people hmm. in my life. And I didn't understand it. I, I was always like, why is that? And then I, I, so I attributed, I said, maybe it's the time of the day people eat here because we Mm -hmm. eat at noon. So therefore we have rest of the day to kind (laughs) of work it off because we're still working through the, we don't eat and sit and go to sleep. And uh, because I was like, we always eat flour bread all the time and everything. Mm -hmm. And then I started to notice people are here so sick with, I'm one of them autoimmune diseases gluten problems food allergies and so i'm constantly trying to see what and uh when i went back 25 years later the first time and Mm -hmm. as i mentioned early i saw suddenly you know lots of the western influence started to come in and one of them was foods and restaurants and fast food restaurants none of that existed there before Mm -hmm. and uh We get off the airplane and we start walking and I see so many overweight people, people struggling with weight. And so I was like, what is going on? So anyways, uh, I'm not really sure if it is because their eating lifestyle is changing or not. But there is a whole nother thing to the whole flour and meats. So whenever I go back to Czech Republic, I can eat bread and dumplings every day and not have any reactions or get sick. Mm-hmm. I come back here, I start eating it, and I start being sick. And so You're kidding, someone, no, I'm not. And so last year, I said, "What is going on? So I did some research on it. Well, Europeans, the whole like European Union, and oh they they have very strict laws. About mm-hmm. their meat. and they're not about allowed- their
0: wheat or their meat both wheat okay. and meat
1: they're not allowed mm-hmm. to use certain products that would promote growth or you know yeah certain hormones and all those things I believe that's the reason when I go back there and I eat their breads and their dumplings I'm stuffing my face every day and I have absolutely no reaction
0: and wow. I believe
1: that's the difference and wow. so while here we may consider it as an unhealthy and for us it is somehow yeah.
0: wow yeah. and that's... I am
1: trying to learn to eat less meat and more vegetables
0: mm. Mm. how's that going <laughs>
1: um not bad on most days sometimes my husband's like Okay. Can we have salad today? I'm like, salad? Oh, where's the meat? I need a chunk of meat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for your time today. I know it ended up to be a lot more than I asked, but your story really is so powerful and challenging to me. It's made me certainly rethink quite a few things, even going back to the very first question about your name. So you're really challenging yeah. me to think, and I appreciate that so much.
1: Well, thank you so much for, you know, again, inviting me, having me photo, uh, making photos, art out of my uh, heritage and heirlooms. And, you know, speaking of these uh, ancient pieces in my family, I feel so excited that it actually takes pressure off me that if they break, it's okay (laughs) because I'm going to have beautiful memories captured by your photos And so the memory will live on no matter what happens to Mm -hmm. the China pieces. But this has been so much fun. And again, I just thank you so much. I'm just so excited about all of this. And I'm excited how God will use this in my life and everybody else's life who hears. Mm -hmm. May may we become a a good... um, representative and good memory heritage bearers for our children.
0: Mm, What perfect words to end on. Thank you so much, Daniela.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Becky.
0: As always, listeners, thank you for listening in. You can find Daniela's contact information in the show notes. As some of you may not know, I run a blog In association with this podcast, where I have extensive notes on every episode, I also post every recipe that my guests share with me. I am a professional food photographer, so I take photos of those recipes and I share tips and information for photographers and for creatives alike. I also just talk a little bit about myself and my family and my goals and philosophies for this podcast over on that website, thestoriedrecipe.com. I'd love for you to stop by. If you want access to the latest episodes, the best thing to do is to press subscribe right now. Or over on my website, you can subscribe to the newsletter where you'll get the episode and the recipe and just a little bit of an update from me every single Friday. So again, head over to thestoriedrecipe.com to look around there and to sign up for the newsletter. That's it. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.